0: Genesis chapter 45, I want to tell you it is so good to be back with you. Um, My wife and my family and I, we had a wonderful time going back to the Northwest. We were in Oregon and Washington and Idaho. All of my wife's living relatives live in the state of Oregon. And so we don't get to go back there very often. So it was really good to see folks uh, get reacquainted. Everybody's commenting on how much the kids have grown. And we just made some memories. It was an awesome time. I also have to tell you that um, while we were away from Texas... I uh, I gained a, a greater appreciation for the sun, okay? Now, being 100 degrees outside, you're like, what are you talking about? But it was normally like in the 50s, okay, and raining and cold. And I forgot that in Oregon, the sun is kind of the bright spot in the gray sky, okay? And so after you do that for several days, you're like, where's the sun, okay? And so we were really glad to get back. I'm not sure I'm quite ready for the 100 degrees. My wife never actually even put on the shorts that she brought. It was just always that cool. And it was great just to be able to catch up with family and friends. And just in visiting with uh, some of our friends, uh, I'd have to say that uh, some of them are going through some really deep water and through some, some difficult times. Uh, one guy I've known for many years, um, a mentor in my life, uh, invested heavily in me. For years, his wife has been going through a severe depression. And um, just talking about just the, the journey through the darkness. And yet, holding on to God, they have exhausted at this point every single option. And yet, his wife is still in that same state, and they're just holding on to Jesus to carry him through this. I talked with uh, another friend, and um, uh, he's been going through a pretty significant family division. And he's attempted to reach out, and, and it's, it's never worked out. And yet, he holds out hope. Uh, Another friend, while we were there, these sort of events were kind of taking place here. She's a very good friend. Her her dad suddenly dies. He's a Korean pastor in Portland. Dies on a Saturday night. Uh, She's up with all the details and the grievance uh, with your father passing away and then sleeps a couple hours and then comes to church and she leads a women's Sunday school class, teaches her class, and, and then later that day even hosts missionary friends of ours. I'm like, wow, how do, you, how, how do you do that? I mean, what, how, what is it that's in your life that gives you this kind of strength? And then one of the ones that just hit us amazingly uh, difficult was uh, a very good friend of ours, Dwayne Stutzman. Uh, he and his wife, uh, Donna, we had done years of youth ministry together. In fact, Dwayne and I used to do door-to-door evangelism together. This guy is a three-time All-American wrestler, and he is still lifting weights and still just... Huge, you know what I'm saying? Rip, he's the kind of guy you want to do evangelism with, you know, in case things get a little tense. Here's Dwayne. We had some encounters like that. Well, while we were, uh, while we were there, he, the doctors discovered that he has a pretty significant mass in his chest cavity and his abdomen. And, and uh, you know, I know uh, his doctor, and, and he said, this is serious. In fact, they were thinking he wasn't going to make it because if that cancer had spread... Um, there would be nothing that they could do for him It doesn't respond to chemotherapy or radiation. And, and so I'm, I got together with him and Donna, and we're sitting there in his, in his family room talking about it, and he's talking about the reality of passing away. He says, you know, if I slip a blood clot, I'm going to go quickly. And, uh, you know, if it's if spread, there's, there's nothing that we can do. And he said, you know, for the first couple of days, man, that hit me really hard. But then God just suddenly gave me just a great sense of his peace. And I just want to tell you to the glory of God and the power of prayer, they had this operation on Friday and that cancer had not spread. They flew a specialist in and they were able to cut it all out. And he's expecting a full recovery. And I, I man, I've been praying. And I don't know if I have prayed so hard in such a long time because this guy means so much to me. And to think that he was going to pass away like that. And yet, um, yet you see the, the triumph of grace in these people's lives going through difficulty. And I, I have to ask myself, uh, how do they do it? I, I want to live well in the grace of God. I, I want to give a testimony to my kids, people I invest in, the people in our church, that that God is great and his grace is sufficient in the difficulties I face. But how, how do you actually do that, though? And I know that you're with me. You, too. You. You want to give a testimony. You, and not only do you want to give a testimony, we, we want to experience God's grace carrying us through the difficulties. And we will ask self the question, how does that happen? And if you want to know, the answer is found in the scriptures multiple times, especially in the chapter we're going to look at today in Genesis 45. And I want to tell you, if you are a leader in any capacity, you're going to want to learn the key lesson of Genesis 45 And that is this, it is that knowing that God is with us allows us to live with grace. You see, the difference between us and the rest of the world is that we who are united with Christ, we know that God is with us, and that makes all the difference in our life. The grace that we receive, the resources from this relationship that we have with God, joy, peace, love, perseverance, faithfulness, these are found because we're in relationship with God. And when we are drawing upon the strength of our relationship with him, do you know what? We can experience the triumph of grace in our life. Now, the scene that we come to in Genesis 45 represents one of the great scenes of the Bible. Uh, it's, 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 it's like unparalleled in the, sense, in the sense that it grips us emotionally. It's similar to like in... Uh, What happened in 1973 at the Clark Air Force Base, when 143 brave men got off a plane, many of them were crippled, some were broken, they were hunched over. All of them had been uh, prisoners of war in North Vietnam. And the guy that gets off, the the oldest guy who was a part of that first group that returned as POW, um, prisoners of war in Vietnam, was a guy by the name of Jeremiah Denton, 48 years old naval uh, captain. And he gets off there and he stands at a podium. And this is what he said. He had actually served as a prisoner of war for eight years in horrendous conditions. And he said this, quote, We are honored to have had the opportunity to serve our country under difficult circumstances. We are profoundly grateful to our commander-in-chief and to our nation for this day. And his, his voice is just breaking up as he's saying this. And then there's this pause. And then he just says this, God bless America. And then they just all fall into the arms of all their waiting loved ones who had been waiting for years, holding out hope that they'd been alive, resting on memories, praying, just trusting that somehow God would see their family members. And it's, you know, a scene like that, it, it, you can't hardly even describe how powerful that is. The fire of the emotions, the connection of the heart, the, just the sacredness of that kind of moment. Well, the scene that we come to in Genesis 45 is like that. Joseph, who is the prime minister of Egypt, has actually now once again encountered his brothers. He's brought them back. And he, he's run them through a series of tests to find out, is their heart really different toward God, toward their father, toward, like, their brother, Benjamin? He wants to know, and he runs them through a series of tests, and this final one they come through with flying colors. In fact, Judah, the guy which was the major reprobate in Genesis 38. This guy was bad and he was wicked. I mean, all you have remember when he went through that? And you were like, "Uh, we're blushing because we're reading about how wicked this man is." Well, he has had a complete change of heart. In fact, he is willing to give his own life to be a slave to release Benjamin, who is now being held in captivity. And he actually when he goes through that, Joseph, for the very first time, he actually hears the lie that they had told his dad. In fact, you see it in 44, verse 28, he's he's told, he says that Joseph was reported to have been torn to pieces by some sort of wild animal. That's the lie they spread. And Joseph keeps hearing this. Torn to pieces. He sees the change in his brothers. He sees it in their eyes. He feels it. He sees their face, their compassion. They are different men. He can handle it no longer. He has he has withheld the fact that he is their brother, even though he's the prime minister of Egypt. He can control himself no longer. So chapter 45, verse 1, then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried, have everyone go out from me. And so there was no man with him where Joseph made himself known to his brothers. So an Egyptian, that's the only thing he's spoken thus far. He makes the command, have everybody leave. At this point, these brothers are like, whoa, what's going to happen? He has cleared out any witness. And then he starts weeping. Verse two, he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard of it. Even though he cleared everybody out. This man just starts heaving. It wasn't that he had a few little tears kind of come out of his eyes, you know, like at the end of a little Hallmark movie, like, ooh. No, he's, it's, it's, it's visceral at this point. He's just, it's the emotion. These are his brothers. God has appointed him for this time. He's alive. Their dad's alive. He starts crying. He's weeping. Verse 3, then Joseph said to his brothers, he says it to him in Hebrew, I am Joseph, can you imagine? They're like, wait, how did they, how did he learn Hebrew? Wait, he he just said he. The prime minister said he's he's Joseph, and then he says, "Is my father still alive?" But but his brothers could not answer him for they're just dismayed in his presence. Like, wait, how how can you be the key guy in Egypt? You're 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 our brother Joseph, and then he, Joseph sees their complete unbelief, and then he says, verse four. Then Joseph said to his brothers, "Please." come closer to me he used the hebrew word nagash. it doesn't work. it's not the usual word to speak of proximity it actually it speaks of like a heart connection please come near to me it speaks of like an intimate closeness like if you'd hug someone he says come near to me i am joseph and then he says he says i am your brother joseph whom you sold into egypt and at this point, then, I would imagine fear is just racing through their body. Because they had sold him into Egypt. He happened to remember that little fact. Whoa. He's cleared everybody out. He's speaking to him in Hebrew. He just reminded him, I'm the one you sold into slavery. They think this is it. He's going to probably kill us. But that's not the case at all. Joseph is God's man. Grace has triumphed in Joseph's life, and there's things that we have to learn. There's a reason why Joseph gets so much press in the Bible, in the book of Genesis. And that is because we are to learn what does it look like when God is greater than our circumstances, when God's grace is great in our lives. And in these following verses, in verses 5 through 8, this is a masterpiece of a recognition and a submission to the good sovereignty of God, that God's providential affairs over the, over life, both good and evil, are in the hand of God. And notice what he says. He says, verse 5, he says, now, do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Don't be grieved. Don't be angry with yourselves. Look what he says in verse 5. You might want to underline it. For God sent me before you to preserve life. God did it. Don't be angry. I have come to see life from a vertical perspective. God is the one who has moved in our midst. And even through your evil actions, God was at work and he sent me before you to preserve life. And he says, verse six, now this famine that has been in the land for these two years, there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. We've got two. There's five more years of complete famine that is going to occur in the land. And so he then says in verse seven, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. God has sent me not only to spare your life and to deliver you, but for a great deliverance for many people. And then he goes and just profoundly says it again in verse eight. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh. And that speaks of like an advisor, like a father would advise a son He's saying, God has made me a father, an advisor to Pharaoh and Lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Now, what he's saying here, he's not saying that, OK, you guys did some really bad stuff. You were evil. You sold me into slavery. And that but somehow God, you know, he saw how bad you were and all the bad things he did. And so he somehow kind of worked out, picked this little piece up here and he worked and he made all things better. And he made it real good. That's not what he's saying here. It's, it's deeper than that. What he's saying here, he says, from the beginning, it was God who sent me here. God was in it all. He was working and he was able to even work even through your evil actions. Later on, he'd say at the end of this book, he kind of basically repeats this. He's, the boys are all worried. They're falling down before him. They're like worried now. And he says, listen, you meant it for evil. But God, he meant it for good. God meant it for good. You see, what is happening in Joseph's life is this. Grace is triumphing. And I I want you to highlight this principle. Grace triumphs in our life when we are trusting God with our circumstances. When we have come to a point in our life where we are truly trusting God with our circumstances, we're not fighting them, rebelling them, just continually resenting them, But we realize, God, I'm trusting you in the midst of these circumstances. You know what? When we do that, grace is triumphing in our life. You see, it all gets started with God. Remember the signature chapter in Joseph's life? It's chapter 38. In chapter 38, four different times it says the Lord was with him. The Lord was with Joseph. Yahweh, using God's personal name, was with Joseph. And because God was with him, And his focus was on God, and he's drawing upon the resources of that relationship. Joseph is a different man. When Joseph is turned into a slave, does he just give up on life and become embittered? No. What does he do? He is faithful, even though he's in a completely difficult circumstance. So faithful that Potiphar eventually makes him the head guy, his manager over his entire household. Everything he's got, all of his assets. And what allows him to be successful? The Lord is with him. He keeps focused on God. When he is wrongly accused of rape and he's thrown into prison, what allows Joseph to thrive even in prison? Do you know what it is? Well, he tells you in 38, the Lord was with Joseph. You see, it is the Lord that makes all the difference in his life. And that's what we're to learn, friends. You and I, we've had some bad experiences in life, right? Every single person has had someone that has wronged you at some point. Some of you have been hurt greatly. Some of you have been left by a spouse. Some of you have had your careers hijacked. Some of you have experienced pain of rejection. The difference between bitterness and just wasting away and hope and living with, apart from bitterness is found in knowing the grace of God and realizing he's with you and trusting him that he's working even in the midst of your difficult circumstances. That's, that's the difference. You see it in verse 8 where he says, but God, you know, you, you turned me into a slave. But really God was working in that all. And the difference is, but God, he's the one who's made all the difference in my life. And this wouldn't have been possible. Joseph would not be talking like this if something significant hadn't happened in his life. And what, it was, what that was, was that Joseph had come to a point where he had truly forgiven his brothers. When you forgive someone, you know what that means. It means to release them from some sort of debt that you think they owe you. Real or imagined. You've forgiven them. And we know that Joseph has forgiven him because in a very profound way, it's recorded in Scripture, he actually names his firstborn son. Anybody happen to remember his firstborn son's name? Manasseh you know what it means God has made me forget all the troubles of my family that's what Manasseh means God has made me forget and then you know his next son he named him Ephraim which means does anybody remember Ephraim fruitful that's right because I have forgiven I can now have he names his second son Ephraim I can be fruitful and friends that is the ticket If you still harbor your grudge, you will not let go. You think that you're going to exact some sort of revenge. I got news for you. What's happening is you're wasting away, and whoever you think is going to pay some sort of price, they probably aren't even thinking about it. It's killing you, not them. You want to be fruitful in life? You want to know God's goodness, release, joy, hope, peace? You have to forgive. And that's what Joseph has done. He's forgiven them. That's why he can talk to them like this. That's why he can treat them like this. You see, if anybody had a pile of rocks to throw at someone, it'd be Joseph, wouldn't it? I mean, think of his pile of rocks. He could throw them. You know what? You, you, my brothers, you turned me into a slave. Do you know that my wife has never met her father-in-law? Do you know that I missed all the experiences of growing up? Do you know, let me pick up this rock. I spent my 20s. I spent my 20s in prison because of you. Do you know I was falsely accused of rape? Do you know that I missed out on all the experiences of a young man because, because of you? You see, those are all the rocks that are in this pile. But you see... When grace triumphs in our life, when we see God working in the midst of our circumstances, when we're willing to forgive, then we have the ability to extend and experience forgiveness. You know, right now, now that God's got your full attention, if there is someone that you're really holding something against, and you know you need to forgive them, do it now. Do not let the sun go down on your anger one more time. Forgive. Joseph is here to show us what does it look like when grace triumphs in our lives. Really, what he's saying here is like, guys, guys, I know that you're going to be really, you're really angry with yourselves. And you're really mad and you're frightened and you're scared and you're really disappointed. But he's telling him, listen, you can be happy like I am. You can have joy when you see that God's providential sovereign hand was working in the midst of this. That's really where happiness comes from. Joy comes from when you see that really God was in the midst of this. I don't understand all of it. And it was painful. It hurt. But you know that big stack of rocks that I got right here? Joseph says, I'm leaving them there as a memorial to God's grace in all of our lives. And I I love that he does this. I love this is how he treats his brothers like this. And this profound scene is recorded here. It really, it, it is so much like Jesus. You remember when Jesus was on the cross? You remember what the statement was that he said over and over again? He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. You see, God the Father providentially gave his son the cup to drink and that was the cup of his wrath that was only to be experienced by him dying a a terrible death on a cross to pay the sins for a wayward humanity. He drank it and yet involved in that was a guy like by the name of Judas, the betrayer. There were godless men that nailed him. The Jews handed him over. They gave mock trials. They beat him. They whipped him. They insulted him. Stripped him. But see, through it all, God was working out his plan for this purpose so that his people would know the joy of relationship. You see, Jesus endured all the pain, the suffering, the mistreatment, the evil that we propagated against him for this purpose so that we would know the joy of the fellowship with him that Christ would provide. You see, there was another man, kind of like Joseph, who was betrayed, who was beaten, who was mistreated, And who served as a rescuer and that is Jesus Joseph did it for providing for a physical salvation for his people for his family Jesus did it to provide the spiritual salvation for those who are his if you've never understood why did Jesus come this is why he came he came he endured the evil so that you and I would know the joy of the fellowship with him if we will simply turn from our sin and trust him well What we see here is is Joseph. Joseph is demonstrating a God-centered perspective both on his past, his present, and his future. He is God's man, and hence he is a great man. This is an amazing picture. This is actually kind of like what Peter spoke about. Remember in Acts 20, chapter 2, verse 22 and following? When Peter gave his first sermon, he said this, you know what? You guys did some evil stuff. Jesus, God showed you through miracles and signs and wonders that he is the man. He was the Messiah. He is the Christ. But you know what you did? You delivered him over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. This was always God's plan. It was predetermined. But you nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. You did it. And yet what? God was working through it all. I don't fully understand how it all works, but I do know that God is sovereign and he works through the decisions made by the will of men, even the evil ones. And that's what we see here. You know, and for my friends that are going through these, these difficult circumstances, I'll just tell you what I, I counseled them and, and I prayed with them, is that they would just keep holding on to Jesus and keep trusting him even in the midst of their circumstances, even if they do not know how they're all going to work out. And friends, some of you are going through hardship and difficulty. You know what we need to do? We need to experience the triumph of grace. Just keep trusting that God, he is working through our circumstances. You see, knowing that God is with us, that allows us to live with grace. Well, not only do we see that uh, God's grace is triumphing, in his life where he's actually trusting God with his circumstances, I want you to see one other aspect of what does it look like when grace is triumphing in your life. And that is that you will be treating others with compassion. Joseph isn't going to exact revenge. He knows that God is in it all, and he is God's man. His focus is on God. You want to see grace in action? Look what he says here, verse 9. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph. God has made me the Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not delay. And then he says, you, you shall live in the land of Goshen. Okay, if you're not really familiar with Egyptian real estate, Goshen is like the prime property. It is at the mouth of the Nile. Okay, and that big, huge delta, it has water and irrigation. It is the, really the best of the land of Egypt. And so even today, if you look at a, a topographical map of, Joseph, of, a, of Egypt, you see this little green area right by the mouth of the delta. That is the Goshen. that And he says, listen, I'm going to give it to you, my brothers, the very ones that, you remember you sold me into slavery? I, I've forgiven you. I want you to have Egypt's very best. You go get dad, bring him down here. I want you to have the land of the Goshen, verse 10, and you shall be near me. I want you by me. You and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. I want the very best for you. I love you with a love that only can come from God. And he says, verse 11, there I also will provide for you. Not only will I give you the best land, I'm going to provide everything you need. And for there are still five years of famine to come and you and your household and all that you have would be impoverished. If you don't come, you die. But God has sent me here so that you will live. Verse 12, he says, behold, your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth. That is speaking to you. Now he says, verse 13, you must tell my father of all my splendor in Egypt and all that you have seen and you must hurry and bring my father down here. Tell dad everything. Tell him what happened. Tell him what you see. Tell him what God has done. This is going to blow him away. And then verse 14 and 15, then he fell on his brother's, Benjamin's neck and he wept and Benjamin wept on his neck. You can just see another, just one of these emotional moments here. And then he says, verse 15, verse 15, it's written, he kissed all his brothers. Wow. Could you kiss the person that sold you into slavery? You can. You can when grace triumphs in your life. He kissed all his brothers. He wept on him. This is real. This isn't like, oh, yeah, I forgive you, but I never want to see you again. All right. One of those sort of things. I won't even look at you. No, no. This is everything he's got, man. All his heart. He's all in this. He wept on them. And afterwards, his brothers talked to him, And they had a lot to talk about. And I'd imagine every time they'd want to go back to, oh, you know, we were having a bad day when we sold you into slavery. He's like, wait, wait, we're not going there. God worked that out for his good and for his glory. Well, you've got to imagine you got the prime minister crying so loud that everybody's hearing him. Pharaoh's hearing about this. All of a sudden, the scene becomes known. Joseph has all his brothers and they're here. Well, verse 16. Now, when the news was heard in Pharaoh's house that Joseph's brothers had come, it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. Okay, man, Pharaoh loves this man. I mean, think of it. If you're like the president and you got a guy like Joseph and he always makes you look good. I mean, he's done it all. Sure. You got family. I love them. Let's bring them on. What can I do for him? And he does. He ups the ante here. He's like, oh, no, we're going to do better than that. Verse 17. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, oh, say to your brothers, do this. Load your beasts. Load them down. Okay, And go to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households, everything you got and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat the fat of the land. I'm going to give you the very best. Yeah, I know a lot of folks are starving, but not you. You're going to have the very best. Pharaoh, in a way, is just communicating just how much he loves and appreciates Joseph. And he, verse 19, now you are ordered. Okay? This is an official decree. Do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. All right? It's kind of like the Oregon Trail, but it's the Egyptian one, okay? And I want you to load them all up. I'm going to give you the wagons. I want you to pack them out, and I want you to put at the women and the children there, the guys you can walk, and I want you to come down. And he says, verse 20, do not concern yourselves with your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Everything that you need, the best of Egypt, I'm giving to you. Well, that is the message that they are there to be told. They're, They're told and they're supposed to pass on to their dad. And so verse 21, then the sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. And to each, look at verse 22, to each of them he gave changes of garments. He's already blessing them. But to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver. Okay, all of a sudden he just turned this guy into a very wealthy man. And five changes of garments. You know, see, Benjamin was the one that was in greatest peril. He's now the one that's actually receiving the greatest blessing. And then, verse 23, to his fathers he sent as follows. Ten donkeys, this is just for dad, ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and sustenance for his father on the journey. He's got these animals, they're all packed out, and he's setting them all down there. Why? Because grace is triumphing. And his dad, who's living on nothing right now, is going to be overwhelmed at this sight. And then you've got to see this, these parting words in verse 24. So he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the journey. That word quarrel, the, the Hebrew word ragaz, it has the idea of being so angry that you're trembling. And see, Joseph's a smart guy. He knows that once they actually have back on the trip and leaving Egypt and making their way back up to the land of Canaan, they are gonna have a lot of time to talk and they're going to be agitated and angry with one another. And he's saying, listen, I don't want you fighting and I don't want you quarreling. Because God has worked this all out. I just want you to tell dad I'm alive. And so they make their journey back. He tells them, don't quarrel. In verse 25, then they went up from Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father, Jacob. Man, could you imagine every one of those little donkeys moving there and every step closer, man. You've got to feel that lump in your throat, man, and that just beating in your chest. We've got to tell dad Joseph's alive. And so, verse 26, they told him, saying, Joseph. It may have been a long time since they even uttered them, his name before their dad. They said, Joseph is still alive. And indeed, he's the ruler over all the land of Egypt. But his dad, he was stunned. Literally, it means that his heart grew numb. It's like he went into shock. What? What? Joseph is alive and he did not believe them. And it's just like, how, how could that? possibly be you know what they're saying here is, is that dad we've been lying to you for 22 years now he's alive what this is is confession and although it's not all recorded here they had to tell dad that great ruse that great lie that they had told him he wasn't killed by any animals he wasn't torn to pieces like you've been thinking and grieving for the last 22 years We sold him as a slave we thought he was dead. I mean, you can't be a slave that long and live. He's alive. And not only is he alive, but he's doing extremely well. And friends, let me just say something here. If you've made some sort of great lie to your parents or perhaps to some significant person, and you've hid something that you've done to maybe you, maybe you lied to them, maybe you stole from them, maybe you disgraced them in some way, You need to know that has serious implications in your earthly relationships, even affects your relationship with God. It breaks down fellowship. Let grace triumph even over your darkest hours, and maybe today is the day you make the phone call. Or write the letter, and let grace and truth triumph, even over the bad things that you've done. They tell him, Dad, Joseph's alive. In fact, he's not only alive, he is he is the man. He is, verse 26, the ruler over all the land of Egypt. And he was stunned and he did not believe him. And then, verse 27, when they told him all the words of Joseph that he had spoken to them, and when he saw the wagons, okay, he knew his boys were bad and they were liars and they're telling him he's a liar. But then he sees all the wagons that Joseph had sent carry, to carry him. The spirit of their father was revived. I mean, he's, they're saying, Dad... He's the ruler of Egypt. He's got it all. I mean, Joseph, he's the prime minister. He's married. He has an awesome wife. He has two great kids. He's got a plasma TV. You should see what he's rolling around these days. He's got a truck. And it is the king ranch edition, man. It is all leather. I mean, he's got it all. He's got a fridge, and it's full of food. And he wants us to come. Dad, Joseph is alive, and grace has triumphed. And he wants us to come. He's demanding us to come. In fact, there's a decree from Pharaoh. You come now. And he says, he said, forget all your stuff. You don't even need to worry about it. I mean, you don't need to worry about that, that. That car, you remember, you have to always push up the hill so you can, you know, get it jump started so you can actually get it started. No, don't. Just leave it. The pink flamingos, the trampoline that you jump on, just leave it. You know the Ikea furniture that you got that took you a whole month to build? Okay, just leave it because the best of Egypt is waiting for you. Okay, if you want the pink flamingos, you can bring them. But that's what these donkeys are for. These are the carts for. But just come. That is what is taking place here. There's this great realization that God's grace has once again triumphed in this family. And this family that was literally ripped apart, God is now bringing together. And so, verse 28. Then Israel said, "It is enough, my son. Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die." Instead of using his word name Jacob. They use that name that God gave him, Israel, because he is speaking for this nation. Though small though it be, almost at the brink of complete annihilation, Israel speaks and says, we are going to go. And so, friends, knowing that God is with us, you know what that does? It allows us to live with grace. We see it in Joseph's life. We see Joseph trusting God with his circumstances. Friends, that's what we need to do. Trusting God with your difficult circumstances, holding on, even if you don't see how it's going to work out now. And maybe it won't even have the happy ever after ending that you would like. What we want to do is we are trusting him that God is working even in the midst of our difficulties, our location and our situation. And you see, when we do that, grace triumphs. Let me also tell you this. When we treat each other with care, love, concern, compassion. When we can actually do good to those who have harmed us, perhaps even the most, you know what's going on? Grace is triumphing. It's kind of like it says in Romans eight thirty seven, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loves us. And that's what God desires in our life. That we who are trophies of his grace because we have been rescued by Jesus Christ, we live in the triumph of his grace as we view our circumstances and as we treat other people. And knowing that God is with us allows us to live with grace. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for your amazing word. How you have recorded in Scripture what it means to live with you, in you, and to have a God-centered perspective, to know your grace in the midst of our difficulties, to see our circumstances, not just from a horizontal perspective, but from a vertical one. And to... Know the triumph of your grace that we can show love and care and concern for all people, even those who have hurt us, because we have experienced your forgiveness and your grace in our lives. Lord, we are your people, and we desire that the steps that we take each day would reflect that for your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Grant, we're glad to have you back. Glad that you're falling out now. And uh, thank you for bringing God's word to us this morning. Before that, we're going to have Jessie Real come, and she's going to give us a report on the soccer camp that was down at uh, Kate Ross Apartments. So, Jessie, if you could just come and share with us, that would be great.
1: Well, good morning again, and I just want to kind of tell you what went on this week. Nothing went according to plan, as expected. But God was in the midst of all of it. And we had an average of about 20 kids a day on the last day, which was the day we gave out free T-shirts and soccer balls. We had, like, 30. So, um, And we met a lot of new kids that, that we never had out there before for Kings Club, which was really cool. Um, thanks to all of you, each one got a T-shirt, a ball, and cleats. A lot of them got um, soccer jerseys that people donated and gave and they were really really excited about those and then the ones who'd been there at least two days of the four got trophies too with their names on them so it was it was really exciting for them and I kind of want to tell you about a few of them um well there was there were a few little boys um three brothers Deshaun, Andrees, and JJ and they got their cleats. And their mom was telling us later about, and they were wonderful, respectful, sweet little boys, about how they wanted to wear their cleats all the time. Like, we gave them their cleats on Tuesday, and they wanted to wear them all the time, everywhere they went. They were so excited about that. Um, and there was another boy. His name was Omar. And the first day, he had a he had a bad attitude. And, I mean, he just didn't really connect with anybody. He didn't really want to do anything. And... um After, but but he still came every day. He came every day, and at the end, he was talking about how we were buddies, and he was asking when we were going to come out again, and it was really cool to see that and to be able to connect to him. Um, There's one more boy that I want to tell you about. His name is Demarcus, and he's around 14 or 15, um, so he wasn't actually part of the camp, but he helped lead it. Um, And he's been coming to King's Club for the past few years, and he continues to come to kind of be a leader. And it is just amazing to see what God is doing in his life as he comes to King's Club, as he comes and just for him to have the opportunity to lead with us. Um, And all the kids admire him and look up to him. And I think it it really encouraged him to have that opportunity to leave the kids in his own apartment complex and to see what he can do there. Um, And so I just wanted to say thank you to all of you for your generosity. Um, we had, we had enough cleats for everybody, we had enough soccer balls for everybody, we had cones and pennies and goals, and I mean, it was just amazing, and this could not have happened without all of you, uh, thank you, and lunches, the kids, the kids had a blast, they loved it, they were all asking if we were going to come back next year, if we were going to come back next week, um, it, it really meant a lot to them, and it was amazing, so, Thank you to all of you. And so many people got involved this week, so many people from this church who have never really had the chance to get involved with Kings Club before. um, And they got to meet the kids and make direct contact with the kids. And, I mean, I don't know what the overall impact of this week is going to be, but I am really excited about what's happening out there. So thank you again to all of you.
0: you.